Hey guys, this is Ryan. Real quick before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to share with you a new podcast that one of my good friends, Preston Lee, has been working on. It's called Freelance to Founder, and it tells the stories of solopreneurs who've grown their one-person business to be something much bigger than just themselves. And what I like most about Freelance to Founder is that it's not just a typical interview show. They instead use narrative storytelling to dive deep into what it's really like to scale a one person business. And right now the show's in its fifth season. The previous four seasons have been packed with incredible guests like Chris Doe, Cynthia Johnson, Brennan Dunn, Courtney Brown, Sean McCabe, and seriously, dozens of more. So I would love to have you guys check out the show. I know you're going to like it just as much as I do. So you can hear it at freelancetofounder.com. And you can click on the link in the show notes of this episode of the Side Hustle Project as well. And you can search for Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcasting app. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Tom Kulzer, the founder and CEO of Aweber, one of the very first marketing automation tools to hit the internet back in 1998. Wow. Tom originally launched Aweber as just a side project while he was still in college, and since then, he and his team have grown the company to serve over 100,000 customers, including me at one point, actually, when I first started blogging. What Tom has managed to do with Aweber is nothing short of incredible. He was one of the first original players in an industry that now boasts dozens, if not hundreds, of million-dollar companies. And on top of that, Tom's managed to completely bootstrap Aweber meaning they have achieved 20 years of consistent growth without ever needing to take on venture capital funding. In this episode, Tom and I talk about how he came up with the original idea for Aweber, including his thought process around how he could build a very simple, sellable version of this tool that solved a problem he was running into. We cover the marketing strategies that led to the acquisition of the company's first 100 customers, and we touch on what's working best today to bring in new paying subscribers. We dig into Tom's best advice for people who want to bootstrap a SaaS business, sacrifices he's had to make over the years to keep Aweber thriving, the strategies and tactics that have blown up in his face, and so much more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Tom Coulter. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ryan. So the first question I want to ask you is uh, one that I've been running by all of my guests here on the show. So Tom, what book are you reading right now or what's been your favorite recently? What book am I reading right now? Uh, I have a stack of like 20 books sitting next to me, uh, none of which I'm actually reading. (laughs) Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't have anything great to give you at the moment. So I'm, I'm kind of in summer, like try not to read business book mode. Um, hey, I feel you. I go in phases myself. Cause my wife is constantly giving me a hard time. She's like, you never read fiction. It's like, yeah, cause there's too many other books that I'm going to learn something from to read that I haven't read yet. <laughs> I like that outlook. Um, so Tom, you and your company, Aweber, um, are based in Philadelphia. Is that where you're originally from as well? I'm from all over the place growing up. Uh, if, if you asked me where I grew up, I would probably tell you Hershey, Pennsylvania. 
kind of central, central PA, you know, chocolate town. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I've lived all up and down the, uh, the East Coast. So, um, you know, Chesapeake, uh, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Rhode Island, um, Massachusetts. Uh, I was born in uh, the upstate New York area. Um, you know, I graduated high school just outside of Baltimore, Maryland. So I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. So the last uh, 16, 17 years or so, I've, I've considered uh, Philadelphia area to be home. Did you move around a lot when you were younger um, due to one of your parents' jobs or was it something else? Uh, yeah, it was a uh, parent's job. So my dad was, uh, was in kind of the corporate finance world and was always, uh, looking for the next, next gig. And, uh, so that, that tended to, to move us around a fair amount. So I've lived the longest in one place that I've lived as an adult, once I got the <laughs> opportunity to decide where I was going to live. <laughs> so... I like that. So uh, when was the first time that um, you feel like you really took on something that you'd consider an entrepreneurial endeavor? So whether it was a product service um, or other kind of business that you worked on? I don't know. Do you go all the way back to like mowing lawns as a kid? Because I definitely did that. uh, Say that counts. Mowing lawns uh, in the winter. I was shoveling driveways being on the East Coast, shoveling snow. you know, so I was always doing that sort of thing uh, to earn some extra cash. You know, beyond that, it was uh, I was selling wireless modems for a while uh, back when I was in in college. This was back before we had iPhones and the such in in our pockets. So that was kind of my first like entrepreneurial type thing. I'd set up a a website where I was also running a um, an email newsletter uh, talking about actually entrepreneurship. Um, because it was always something that was kind of an interest of mine, but I didn't really know much about it. So I started a newsletter about it. And it was basically, I did essentially what you're doing now, interview, interview different entrepreneurs and ask questions. And I kind of curated questions from readers. Um, and then I would put them out in the newsletter and people would answer back. It was kind of like an early discussion list kind of thing. It was like a moderated discussion list where you had like the best content, you know, the best, most complete answers. Um, you know, would go out in the newsletter the following week. So it worked pretty yeah. well. It's a good excuse to force yourself to learn about a subject too. What what year was this? That was in like 96, 97, 98 time. So wow. was, was I can't imagine big. there were a heck of a lot of other email newsletters out there on this subject. Not really. Uh, there were a handful, um, but there really weren't many. So um, yeah, it was, it was just something where I was trying to find information and I've, felt like the best way to find the information at the time was to try to curate it and you know bring together kind of like minds so and it, it worked pretty well I like that where did you go to uh, college um college so college was ultimately what landed me at a Weber uh, so I was doing the wireless modem thing uh, while I was studying uh, mechanical engineering at Penn State and uh, after uh, a year of mechanical engineering I'd, I'd done pretty well in high school and I you know, tested into a whole bunch of like advanced placement, you know, stuff. So I was doing some pretty advanced stuff uh, math wise my first year at Penn State and quickly realized that was not something that I thought was overly interesting and exciting. So I switched to uh, finance and um, uh, ended up changing schools and going to a community college back down in Maryland for a year. And uh, in the process of doing that, I ended up starting a Weber. So I never actually finished school. 
So, so I know I a, you mean- I have a very expensive degree of many life left <laughs> learned expensively over the years. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know you mentioned that you had an email newsletter of your own um, while you were in college about entrepreneurship. So um, was that kind of what drove you into the initial inspiration for wanting to, you know, productize this more as like a service with Aweber? No, it was actually, it was kind of completely unrelated to that, actually. It was the wireless modem thing. Um, I was selling these modems and working with other distributors and so forth around the country that were selling them as well. And um, I had essentially like, you know, and following, I'd go to computer shows and you get business cards from people that were interested and I'd follow up with them. It was a lot of like manual phone calling and emailing and so forth. And, uh, you know, being the busy slash lazy college student that I was, I was trying to figure out ways to make that process more efficient. So I ended up writing a Perl script that sent out a series of email messages over the, over the course of several weeks that answered common questions and kind of poked people to, you know, reach back out to me. And, um, uh, over time that worked really well. And I ended up sharing that tool that was just a kind of a one-off script with some other people that could then set up forms on their own sites where they were talking about this product, get leads, they'd come into the system and they would send this one specific series of follow-up messages. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, I ended up leaving that company to focus on school. But a lot of these other folks that I had shared this program with were like, Hey, can I get that program to use in this other company over here? And I was like, well, I wrote it as a one-off, like it doesn't really exist to use a generic. And, they're like, well, I'll pay you for that. I was like, well, it doesn't <laughs> exist. You know, you get a half a dozen people or so telling you that, and it's like, oh, I'll pay you for that. Hmm. And uh, guess the gear's going. Yeah, so the gears got grinding, and uh, you know, this is back before you had PayPal and Stripe and Google and all of those sort of things to be able to just easily set up an e-commerce site and a SaaS business. And none of those things existed back then, so I had to figure out how to do all of it. And uh, one thing led to another, and I released it to all of those folks that I had been using before. Quite a few of them started actually paying for it. And then I just started talking about it on the, um, on the, the entrepreneurship newsletter that I, was, that I had been already curating that had a couple thousand subscribers at that time. And it just kind of took off from there. So, you know. 20 years later, here we are. <laughs> uh, back when you first launched it to that initial group of, you know, a handful of people who were paying for it in the early days, um, what was the product like? Because now I think you guys are a very highly evolved market on, marketing automation tool. Um, so what did oh, it look yeah. like in the very early days? In the early days, it was, uh, you know, you came in, you could uh, you set up, you could add a subscriber, you could add like literally their name and email address to the database and, you know, they could sign up using a little form that would, that would get them into the database. And then they would receive a series of uh, up to seven messages. And these were plain text messages, like HTML email was not a thing back then. <laughs> um, so these were literally just plain text messages that had a, you know, a custom from line, custom subject line, and then the body text. And that was it. Uh, and uh, those went out over a period of time and you could specify the number of days between the messages that you wanted to send. So, and if you wanted to send, so you basically got um, those seven messages for $19.95 $19 a month. Uh, and if you wanted to send an eighth message, it was an extra $2 a month. Uh, <laughs> 
back when yeah it was it was literally it well mind you it was also unlimited subscribers which in retrospect was a really mm. bad idea we ended up changing that not too long after that but uh, <laughs> uh live well, and learn a good early hook i bet <laughs> So, Tom, these were the days well before Product Hunt, and I'd imagine that there weren't a whole lot of other online communities where you could sort of, you know, air quotes, launch a tool like this. So aside from seeding it out to your own list and, you know, through people that you'd already met through trade shows and things like that, what else did you do to start getting the word out about Aweber in the early days? Yeah, it was, um, you know, going to trade shows, meeting people, talking to people. Um, We had a, um, you know, had and continue to have a big affiliate reseller network. You know, when you, when you help a small business out, small businesses tend to be very well connected to others in their, you know, in their industry or in their geography, you know, they go to chamber of commerce events, those sort of things. And they tell other people about the tools that they're using and they're seeing success with. Um, and that led to a lot of that kind of network effect of, of, of the growth and, you know, direct word of mouth referrals was, was always one of our biggest, uh, you know, sources of, of new customers and continues to be to this day. Um, so, you, you know, I look at it as if you do well by your customers and you support them really well, uh, they're going to do well by you and, you know, they're going to tell others about the success they're having. So, and it's, and it's not necessarily that they're going to tell them about our tool as a product. They're going to, tell them they're going to tell others about um, what they're doing. That's really cool. So like, they'll say like, Hey, I've got this great new newsletter and you know, I'm saving so much time, you know, sending out my newsletter. I'm doing this marketing automation process mm-hmm. and like, I'm saving so much time with this and they'll go, oh, what are you using? And that's when they say, Oh, I'm using a Weber. And, you know, everyone there is really helpful and you should give them a call and they can help, you know, help you and set you up for you. Um, you know, with, it's all those. It's, it's kind of that network effect of people telling other people what the, what is awesome and uh, and how they go about accomplishing those goals. So fast forwarding a little bit, um, you're still the CEO of Aweber, um, and you guys were one of, if not the very first marketing automation tools to to kind of hit the internet. Twenty mm-hmm. years later. Um, you're up to a hundred thousand, uh, customers. So I'm curious at what point did you sort of take a Weber from being this little side project while you're in college over to being a full-time business? Uh, well, I would say almost immediately cause I actually dropped out of school to run a Weber. Um, you know, I kind of pitched that as a pitch that to my parents as a, Hey, I'm going to take this semester off and see where this goes. Um, so it's not an accident that my first, our first customers happened the end of August in 1998. It was right before the fall semester started. So when you kind of talk about minimally viable products and, uh, you know, setting a launch date and so forth, it was like I needed a minimally viable product by the time school was supposed to start in the fall. And, uh, <laughs> and that's what I did. So uh, That's a good way to light a fire under your ass. I'm not even sure they necessarily existed. Yeah, so, uh, so it kind of worked. Um, so from a, from a business standpoint, like when did it feel like a business? Uh, I'd say when I, you know, when I started hiring people and, uh, you know, and, and we had five or six people on, on the team, um, you know, and you felt that responsibility, not only to your customers and, and providing them a service that was reliable and quality and continue to grow and continue to advance, but also like, you know, you're providing the livelihood for the team that's working with you. Um, and making sure that you're, you know, you're setting appropriate uh, direction to be able to, to continue to be able to do that over, over the years. At what point did you make your first hire? 
Uh, I was about two years in actually. So, and it was probably wow. one of, one of my biggest mistakes early on was not hiring soon enough. So that would have been, uh, so 99, 2000. Yeah. So it'd been like mid 2000 ish, uh, was when I hired a first person. So what yeah. was that first role you hired out? It was our customer solutions team member. So, uh, just wow. to be able to help, you know, we had, we had about 2000 customers at the time and I was literally still doing everything myself. Oh my um, God. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was, I was good at multitasking and, uh, you know, and it worked and it worked well. And that was, that was providing phone support, email support, chat support, you know, you name it. Uh, I did it, uh, as well as like software coding, you know, marketing, accounting, all of that sort of stuff. If it happened, it happened because I did it. Um, Holy crap. That's so, crazy. Uh, yeah. So it was a little crazy, uh, in retrospect, like, I learned a great deal in those two years. I learned a lot about what worked at different pieces of the business. Um, no one in the business that these days can accuse me of not having done every role because I've literally done them all. <laughs> um, up to and including, including, you know, cleaning the toilets for many, many years. <laughs> so, um, you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, yeah. And I feel like this is actually some foreshadowing to the fact that you went two years up to, you know, roughly 2000 customers or so essentially all by yourself, um, is, uh, and this is something I would say that I admire about the way you've built AWeber too, is that you're totally bootstrapped even to this day. So for 20 years, no outside funding, um, you know, why did you make the decision to grow this way when, you know, you see tons of other marketing related tools out there that have taken on tens of millions of dollars grown in, you know, very short periods of time. So why did you choose a very different path for yourself? Well, I, I think that there's, there's a couple of different, you know, there's a couple of different reasons that you build a business uh, and that you do what you do. Um, and I think when you raise outside funding, you give up a lot of control of, of kind of the end destination. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I look at building, building the business as kind of a stool, and you have kind of three pillars that, that you're kind of, you know, standing on or being supported by um, it is, you know, you're building a tool that's providing immense value for your customers, obviously, uh, in order to get them to, to, to pay you um, to be able to continue to provide those services. Um, you know, you're also building, um, you know, a lot of value for your team members that are a part of your company. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, as an adult, like we spend the majority of our waking hours at a business, you know, at work in some manner or form. So the environment that we create for our team, the benefits that we provide for our team, you know, the office space that they sit in, the other team members that they work with, you know, need to be um, enticing and educating and interesting and exciting to be able to go in and, and do every day um, and, and to work with every day. And then you're, you know, you're obviously building a business that is financially sound and that can continue to operate for many years. Um, you know, so, so those things all kind of work in concert. And I look at when you raise funding, um, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain amount of funding where, you know, you don't have viable economics around the business yet and you need money to just survive. Um, and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs think of raising funds um, as like success in that they like have achieved some business success. And I look at that as, mm -hmm. yeah, you've achieved some level of success and that you've convinced some small handful of people that you provide enough value to risk 
you know, spending, you know, investing a bunch of money for some potential return down the road. And each time you do that, you bring a new group of stakeholders that have new motivations and new um, potential end games, you know, and anybody that's giving you a chunk of money, they want to receive, you know, they want to see return on investment. And so the decisions that you make in the business are going to be affected based on them achieving or not achieving return on investment. And those, those decisions that are made are often contradictory to a good customer experience and a good team member experience. Um, so you can build, you know, you can build something that is a business that might have value, economic value for those investors, but it doesn't necessarily contribute as much value to um, your customers or your team members that are a part of the business every day. So it's like you're giving, you know, there's, there's this give and take aspect of, of raising funds um, that can control and can change a lot of how you might, you know, run a business over the years. I've made many, many decisions which financially make absolutely no sense, but they were either the right thing to do for our customers or they're the right thing to do for our team members. Um, and, you know, I can make those decisions because we're not beholden to anybody other than, you know, myself, our customers, and my team members. You know what I mean? I don't have any, I don't have any other subset, you know, any other group that I'm trying to satisfy with some sort of economic model of, you know, business return, you know? Uh, and if you see it, most companies that raise funds, they have some major, you know, I call it kind of life altering, you know, business altering change of where they're sold then usually within three to five to possibly seven years on the outside. Uh, and you can see that over and over again. And we've been, you know, I've been in this market for almost 20 years now seen it over and over again when companies get bought, big things change. They may not change that first year, but big things change over time. Uh, and yeah. they're not always good for either the team or the customers. So, yeah. so it's, you know, like it's a it. balance. I like your motivations. They're, they're, they seem like they're in the right place. Hopefully. I like to think they are. So, and our team likes <laughs> to think they are. So, and, you know, every day is a new chance to either make the continued right decisions or to make the wrong decisions. So it's a balance, you know. I gotcha. Well, Tom, I want to ask you a couple of my uh, frequently asked questions. I've designed them to be intentionally short on my end, but your responses do not need to be so. Okay. What's your number one best piece of advice to someone who's listening today that also wants to bootstrap their side project and grow it into a full-time business? Uh, I would go with start. (laughs) Uh, You you can, you know, you can plan, you can strategize, you can worry about all the things that'll go wrong until you're actually doing it. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, so I just look at it as like start. Um, you know, one of my, uh, um, you know, one of kind of my overriding themes in what I do is, you know, growth happens in the uncomfortable zone. And if you're comfortable, you're probably not growing. You're probably not doing something different than what you were doing the day before. So mm-hmm. just start. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward. You will make mistakes. It will cost you money, um, but you'll figure it out. Um, so just do something. I couldn't agree more. Um, Tom, do you have any particular strategies, tactics, or ideas you guys have tested over at Aweber that um, come to mind as having been a failure? Hmm. Having been a failure. How many days do you have for this podcast? Jeez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh I don't know. It's hard to pick one. Um, Maybe a particularly uh, painful lesson. 
I think I think the areas that we've messed up the most over the years that I regret um, was making bad hiring decisions and not owning up to it fast enough and dealing with you know dealing with the problem both for the company at large and with the person you know whatever person happens to be that is you know is the problem or you know, and, and many times it's not necessarily that person was a problem. It's just like, you just plain made a bad hire. You hired the wrong skills for the wrong kind of role, but you didn't know. And you have to, you have to be able to make everybody whole and, and deal with it and, and move forward. And in the long run, everybody tends to be happier as a result. So um, I've always felt bad letting anyone go from, from the team. And we do it as an absolute last, you know, last course. Um, but I've never regretted having let anyone, you know, asked, having asked anyone to leave the team. So I'd say, you know, not, not making those choices sooner, uh, is probably one of my biggest failures over the years. So we've gotten much better at that. That's good advice. All right, Tom, well, this is going to be my last question for you. What's been the best investment you feel you've ever made in the context of growing your business? So this could be in the form of time, money, tools, product services, or otherwise. I would say on both the time and money standpoint, I would say networking um, and kind of peer peer and professional development. Um, the more time that I have spent away from the business on a day-to-day basis and networking and hanging out with other businesses, not necessarily in the same industry or even in software or anything like that, just other business owners. Um, you learn a tremendous amount and you learn how similar all of our business problems actually are and how much great advice there is out there on both what you can do to help fix whatever problem it is that you're running into, um, but also like what other people have done and how they've messed it up on their own <laughs> so kind of things to avoid. But that, that kind of professional networking is, is always been a really, really good time you know, has, has always been good time spent for myself personally and anybody on our team that I've encouraged to do the same. It's always been good. It's hard to measure up front. And even in the long run, it's kind of hard to measure, but like there's so many great ideas that I get from other people just as in random conversation in bars at conferences or, you know, at, you know, out golfing somewhere or, you know, sailing somewhere on a ski lift somewhere, like all kinds of random places. So you just, you get great ideas that way. Yeah. And it's a long-term investment in yourself too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, and maybe that's, maybe I'm compensating for my lack of, uh, you know, formalized college education, uh, you know, from, from a degree standpoint there and some of the network and, and whatnot that you build there. But like, it's crazy. Like you realize, you realize pretty quickly or maybe not that quick. I don't know. It feels like yesterday that I was just starting this and it's been almost 20 years, but the the there there's so you have so many connections to so many people and you never know who's going to know who and it's an infinitely smaller world than i think many people really think it is you know you might think getting in touch with somebody is going to be like really far-fetched but if you like really truly seek out trying to get in touch with someone specific you can almost always make it happen um you just have to be persistent <laughs> so i love it All right. Well, Tom, um, I think that's a good point to wrap this conversation up. So um, for everyone listening, um, where can they go to find out more about you, AWeber, and everything you guys are up to? Sure. Uh, You can check us out if you go to uh, aweber.com slash connect. 
you can find a whole bunch of uh, free email marketing courses. Uh, there's a bunch of email templates and videos and tips up there for improving your email marketing and email marketing automation. Uh, obviously, you can uh, you can reach me there as well. I'm hard to find online. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Tom, thank you again for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Ryan. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.